So yes, in just a little while, we'll be sharing in the Lord's Supper together. That uh, moment that Jesus told us to repeat, he said, do this in remembrance of me. So we do it in remembering his sacrifice for us, his death on the cross, his payment for our sin, and his resurrection from the grave as well that gives us eternal life when we trust Christ as our Savior. So we know that, and we know that's why we celebrate the Lord's Supper. And Jesus told us to do this. We do it in obedience to him regularly and as an expression of the gospel. But it's also a reminder of who we are. Uh, it's, it's because of the sacrifice of Christ that we are here today. It's what binds us together and, call, and, and makes us the church, the people of God, is his sacrifice that we have joined together by faith and trusting Christ, walking with Christ, following Christ, believing Christ has forgiven us for our sins. And this sacrifice is what makes that possible. So even as much as we are celebrating the death of Christ on the cross, his resurrection for our salvation, we're also celebrating and remembering and recognizing who we are in Christ. Uh, we've been in a message series in the book of First Peter. We're going to return there this morning to First Peter chapter 3. Feel free to flip there right now and hold your place for just a moment. Uh, and you'll recall in, in past uh, messages in this series, the most recent ones, Peter's talking about applying the principle of submission that arises from the sacrifice of Christ. That is, he submitted himself to the will of the Heavenly Father, and that's why he went to the cross for our benefit. And God followed through with that in raising him from the grave. And, and we know that. And we know that it's because of Christ, as Peter has taught, especially in chapter 2, that we are the people of God. We are, as Peter says, a, a peculiar people, an unusual people. We're different from the rest of the world in that we are in this world, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we belong to Christ, so we serve Christ while we are in this world. Peter has said all these things. And as we have followed him talking about the principle of submission, we've seen how he says God calls us to apply that principle to different relationships, to government, to household, to marriage as well, all because, he says, of the suffering of Christ. We are mimicking, imitating the sacrifice of Christ and submitting ourselves to the Heavenly Father by serving him in whatever relationship we are in. So Peter's going to wrap up that conversation this morning with a very brief summary of the last relationship he wants to bring up, and that's our relationship with one another. Our relationship in the body of Christ, our relationship among Christians is another place we need to be sure that we are practicing the principle of submission. Now, this series focuses on our living hope as we live for Christ in a hostile world. And Peter's point will be clear that unity in the body of Christ is critical if we are to make it through tough times together. Because we do that together. We are in this together as the people of God. And if we're to make it through difficult, hostile, even hostile situations, even persecution together, we do it because we know we are the people of God. And God has called us to this. I know that everybody in this room is falling in love with the roundabouts that are being installed all over Brunswick County. Aren't you? You just love, and all over North Carolina. Uh, did you know the roundabout originated in the UK? The British invented the roundabout in the 1960s and started installing them to help traffic flow in high traffic areas. And when the roundabout was first invented by the British, 
The principle of right-of-way was the person who was entering the roundabout had the right-of-way. Whoever was already in the roundabout had to yield to the person coming in to the roundabout. And they found out pretty quickly that that caused a problem. Because then people were racing to be the one that gets into the roundabout first to have the right of way and literally blocking traffic and, and accidents increased exponentially as people were racing in to the roundabout. So the British in their wisdom reversed the yield, re reversed the right of way so that the people coming into the roundabout had to yield to those already in the roundabout. And that's what we inherited in America. Did you know when they made that simple change, accidents in the roundabout dropped 50%. Now the roundabout still hasn't caught on a whole lot in America. It first started being installed in the 1990s and kind of slowed down a little bit. And now it's on the rise and on the increase, just like Dollar General. <laughs> but you know, there's a spiritual lesson in the roundabout. And not the one you're thinking about how you get angry and deal with your anger. There, there's a spiritual lesson in that the roundabout in and of itself charges us with the task to yield to others. You have to pause and think about other people or you're going to get in trouble. You have to recognize what they're doing. You have to take a moment, even if for a second, you have to say, I'm not in charge at the moment. The other person is. The core of the Apostle Peter's teaching for us in the church is that who we are matters because Christ's sacrifice, if we, if we mimic his sacrifice among the people of God, it means that we have to pause and think of one another. If only for a moment we say what actually the Apostle Paul tells us to say, other people matter more than we do, especially in the body of Christ. If our objective is to always get our way, we will splinter and divide and experience dissension among us. But if our objective is to sacrifice for the benefit of others, is to build unity in the community, then we will be the people of God in our generation. We will be a witness for Christ in our generation, and we will be able to stand in this hostile generation as God calls us to do. We're going to pick up reading at verse 8 of chapter 3. We're mostly interested in verses 8 and 9, but attached to it, Peter includes a section of Psalm, the Old Testament book of Psalms, Psalm 34. So we want to read through that as well because it's pertinent to what Peter is saying. So pick up with me in 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to start reading at verse 8. Peter says, finally, that is, I'm wrapping up the discussion on the principle of submission, finally, all of you be like-minded and sympathetic. Love one another and be compassionate and humble, not paying back evil for evil or insult for insult, but on the contrary, giving a blessing since you were called for this so that you may inherit a blessing. For the one who wants to love life and to see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit and let him turn away from evil and do what is good. Let him seek peace and pursue it, because the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do what is evil. God calls us to practice the principle of submission in all of our relationships, including the body of Christ. 
And in this short passage, Peter reminds us of who we are and that we can build, we are a community of faith and that we can build unity in this community when we practice the principle of submission among one another. He uses just a few examples and characteristics of the body of Christ to teach that, but it's important because remember, he's writing to believers under persecution. And under persecution, believers in persecution might have the tendency to want to retaliate. And sometimes that starts in the body of Christ with disagreements we might have with one another. We might want to insult for insult, retaliate. If we are offended, we may want to offend someone else. But he reminds us that's not what Christ, that's not who we are in Christ and what Christ died for and what he called us to do and who he called us to be. So whether it's in the body of Christ or in relationships outside the church, we are called to mimic Christ. Did you see that phrase in verse 9? For you are called to this. Haven't we seen that several times already? For you are called to this. To what? To be like Christ in your generation and to live like Christ in your generation. So how do we do that? How do we do that? Uh, This morning, just quickly, I want us to look at two directives that Peter gives us. Two ways we can practice the principle of submission in the body of Christ especially in a difficult generation, a difficult time, to nurture community and nurture unity in the body of Christ. The first way, Peter says, is to focus on what we have in common. Very literally, to remember who you are. Focus on what you have in common. Not what your differences are, but what you have in common. And and this is intended to be intentional. These are directives that we choose to practice, things we choose to do, characteristics we choose to apply in our relationships in the body of Christ. So he says, practice these in your relationships and focus on what you have in common, not not what makes you different, and and do that intentionally. Uh, In verse 8, the characteristics he mentions are sort of circulate around a hub And that hub is the phrase, as we read it, love one another. In other words, he's saying the main point is love one another, and this is how. The phrase translated love one another is more literally practice brotherly love. There it is. It's intentional. Nobody gets off the hook. You practice brotherly love in the body of Christ, and you do it intentionally. It's not accidental. So he said, here's a few ways you can do that. You can focus on what you have in common, practice brotherly love. First of all, uh, by being like-minded, focusing on what you have have in common, being like-minded. The phrase literally is being harmonious, thinking alike about the things that matter most. Now, we're well aware that we don't always think alike, and we don't always agree, right? I mean, we're human beings, and we're well aware that we might not always see eye to eye even on the things of the church. So what's Peter talking about? Uh, What Peter's talking about is consistent with all the New Testament and it starts with this. We need to remember what we do agree on that makes us believers in Christ. It's what matters most that we are like-minded about, that we are of, uh, of one mind in And we focus on that first. That is, who Jesus Christ is, who God is, what sin is, what we're celebrating in the Lord's Supper, what we're remembering. These are the things that we're like-minded about. 
And when we remember those big picture things, when we focus on what we have in common, sometimes those other things can just brush by the wayside. It's not always that important. Sometimes the things we think are so crucial pale in comparison to what Christ has done for us and who we are as the body of Christ and as a community in faith. So the first way to love one another, to practice this principle, is to intentionally be like-minded, focus on the things that matter most, the things that you agree on. Then he says, be sympathetic. And this is exactly what it sounds like. Care about the other person. And you're thinking, well, of course Christians care about other Christians, right? Well, think about COVID. How'd we do? Were we very sympathetic with our siblings in Christ? Did we show it on social media? During COVID? No, not really. In fact, if anything, we showed we don't understand this very well. Being sympathetic with your siblings in Christ doesn't mean you have to agree with them on everything, but it means you understand them as people created in the image of God, saved by Christ the same way you were saved. Come alongside them, love on them, sympathize with them. Whatever their hurt, whatever their condition, whatever their sickness, whatever their point of view, sympathize with them. That's okay. You do it not because you believe they're always right, but because you are a Christian. You're a believer, and so are they. What you have in common is your fellowship in Christ. Keep that at the forefront. Then Peter says, be compassionate. Show compassion. Follows with being sympathetic, but compassion is actually an action that you take. It's applying mercy. How many times the Bible tells us Jesus showed compassion? And he showed it, when he felt compassion for the the crowds and the masses, he showed it by healing them. For us that means, again, coming alongside, praying with our siblings in Christ, showing them compassion when it's needed and when it's necessary. And then he says, also, by the way, be humble. The, the, The word actually means be modest about yourself. The Apostle Paul would write it this way. He would say, don't think more highly of yourself than you should. We could shorten it by saying, you're not that great. And it's not hard to to gather up and and practice humility when you're a Christian. All you got to do is look at the cross and remember what your sin cost the Savior. Be humble. Unity in the community of believers is loving one another in Christ. And we may occasionally disagree on minor issues. Don't blow them out of proportion. Remember what we have in common and what matters most. Then secondly, Peter says, along with that, remember who you are in Christ goes right along with it, doesn't it? Remember who you are in Christ. That, that inclination to retaliate, to pay back, in verse 9, pay back evil for evil or insult for insult, he says that, that misses the point of the bigger picture of who you are in Christ. This is why he invokes Psalm 34 that reminds us God despises those who practice evil, but God shows favor on those who intentionally do good. In our case, good to one another. But in verse 9, Peter is spreading this out. He's applying it to us in the body of Christ as well as how we regard those in the culture, people in the culture who may actually persecute us. 
who may actually be hostile toward us as believers. But this is a universal principle for Christians, uh, and what we practice is not retaliation at all. Not insult for insult or evil for evil. Peter says, you were called to this. In serving Christ, you were called to this. Giving a blessing so that you will inherit a blessing. Let's break that down just a minute. Because we need to understand what he means and what the Bible means by giving a blessing. So that you'll inherit a blessing. Uh, Peter uses the term blessing twice as a balance. It's a good Hebrew way of thinking, good Jewish way of writing and he was a Christian who was a Jew, and so he likes that rhythm, he likes that, that, that way of writing. It's, it's rhythmic and it's poetic, but the, in this case, the two words blessing mean slightly different things. He's not teaching that you must be good to other people in order to inherit your salvation. What he's teaching is that when you practice the principles of God and you bless those who might insult you, you're demonstrating that you're going to inherit a blessing. You're demonstrating your salvation. You're demonstrating you understand what Christ has done for you on the cross and who you are in Christ. Much like Jesus said, pray for those who persecute you and love those who hate you, Peter is saying, bless those who insult you. And giving a blessing means you do this on an ongoing basis as an act of life. And I want to say clearly, the Bible's not teaching Christians to lay down as a doormat for anybody to do whatever you want to do. In fact, we see just the opposite. We see Jesus standing up to the authorities. We see the Apostle Paul standing up for himself and the authorities when they're in the wrong. But in personal relationships and one-on-one interaction, we represent Christ when we seek to bless those who might insult us. So what does he mean by blessing? In the grand scope of the Bible... To bless someone is to ask God's favor on them. So first and foremost, he means what Jesus means, pray for them. When someone insults you or seeks to do evil against you, pray for them. Then in other places in the Bible, we see there's a practical application to this. Certainly don't retaliate, certainly don't insult, uh, add insult to insult and keep that argument going. If you, uh, instead... Use words, in the book of Proverbs 15, 1 says, to diffuse anger. Use words that might bring, ultimately, the relationship back together. That, that might help them understand who Christ is. That, uh, that offers healing and hope, rather than more insult and evil. And then the third way is simply by your actions. In our culture, we sometimes repeat the words of Jesus to Turn the other cheek. If someone slaps you on one side, let them slap the other side. Well, Jesus is using somewhat of an extreme example, but this is the same point. Rather than slap them back, he says, show them what Jesus would do. Going the extra miles, another principle Jesus used that illustrates this same idea. When the Roman soldiers were, were hiking, a lot of times they would conscript the Jew at the mile marker. Do you all know that's where we get our mile markers, by the way, is from Rome. At the mile marker, they would conscript a Jew to carry their load, their pack, for a mile. And the Jew only had to carry it one mile. And begrudgingly and angrily, the Jew would throw that backpack down at that mile marker and storm off. I wasted a whole mile of my life. And Jesus says, if you're a Christian, what's different about you? Anybody can carry the backpack a mile. Why don't you pick it up and carry it another mile? 
Won't that surprise that Roman soldier? And then you'll get to tell him why. Because you're a follower of Christ. He died on the cross for you. And you're demonstrating that kind of sacrifice. All along in this series, we've asked and answered this same question. What difference does it make that you're a Christian? That's what Peter's saying. What, what difference does it make in your relationships in the church and your relationship outside the church as well? So he says, giving a blessing. Rather than an insult, giving a blessing and you, so that you'll inherit a blessing. This is his reminder of the big picture. You will inherit salvation. You already have. It demonstrates your salvation. And God will favor you just as you're showing his favor toward others. Did you know that uh, psychologists tell us one of the reasons that social media is so toxic is because when human beings insult other human beings and when that aggravation escalates and we continue the insults, we actually get emotional pleasure from that. There is something in the brain that instills pleasure and it makes us want to do it again when we insult people. We, we want to do it again. Have you ever noticed that? The more you talk, the more you talk. The Bible teaches that comes from the old sinner self. That's the old you doing that. So what's different because you're a Christian? Well, what's different because you're a Christian is rather than trade insult for insult, you remember who you are in Christ. God in, in the created order did not teach us to trade insult for insult. God at the cross and the redempted new creation, redemptive new creation, we don't trade insult for insult. We surprise people by praying for them first, those who insult you, and offering an explanation for that when we have opportunity. Doing for them what might even surprise them when we have opportunity to do so. When faced with disunity, foster unity, when faced with insults, cultivate the relationship, blessings, pray for people. Sometimes I know, sometimes it's hard, God knows this too, that people can be difficult. But remember that Christ died for this. As Peter says, remember you were called to this. You weren't called to be like everybody else in the world, you were called to this. To serve Christ in this world, to impact people for Christ. You were called to a, un to a, a community of unity, a, a building up of the body of Christ, to treat one another as Christ has treated you. That's what we're called to. How many of you saw the ladies' U.S. Open final last night? Yes, Coco Goff, American, 19-year-old. Wow, what a great match. And did you watch the the concluding moments there, even the after-match interview. Before she got that far, she was seated over to the side uh, in her chairs in her section, and the camera's on her. She put all her stuff down. She spun around. She knelt at the seat, and it was clear she was praying and thanking God. And it wasn't contrived. It wasn't fabricated because she immediately spun up, sat in the seat, and tried to FaceTime with her brother who wasn't there. She was just doing what came naturally. In the after-match interview, 
Mary Jo Fernandez, who, by the way, is also a believer, asked her about her faith, because it's well known, Coco Goff follows Christ, she's a believer, asked her about the importance of her faith. Based on that prayer, and she said, everybody saw you, we saw you spin around, you knelt down, you prayed, is, is prayer, is faith important to you? And Coco Goff said, oh yes, it's, it's so very, very important, and this is what she said. She said, when I pray, I don't pray for results for the match. I pray that God will give me the strength to do what I'm supposed to do. And whatever happens, happens. What difference would it make in our relationships as believers if we said, when I pray, I don't pray to win the argument. I pray that God would make me Christ-like in that relationship. And that person would be blessed, even if they insult me, they would be blessed because I'm in that relationship. They would know Christ a little bit more just because of me. And I'll let God worry about the rest. What difference does it make in your relationships? What difference does it make that you follow Christ? I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. Uh, this is a distinctly Christian activity. Jesus told followers of Christ to do this in remembrance of him, and, as we've said, in remembrance of who we are in Christ. So if you're in this room this morning, and you know, you know you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, you've never given your life to Christ, have the courage to let the uh, bread and the cup just go on by. You can't acknowledge that you've, you've accepted the sacrifice of Christ for yourself when you haven't done it. It's just not honest. So let that go by. And at the end of the hour, I'll give you an opportunity to trust Christ as your Savior. Maybe the next time we do this or you're at another church that does this, you, you can indeed participate. Now, First Baptist Church, you don't need to be a member of First Baptist Church to participate with us in the Lord's Supper, but you do need to know that you're a Christian, that you have trusted Christ as your Savior. Again, it's a distinctly Christian activity. But if you know you're a Christian, we invite you to participate with us this morning. I'm going to pray for us. The deacons will come forward and, and we'll share in the Lord's Supper. Our Heavenly Father, we pause in this moment, God, thanking you so much for the sacrifice of Christ on the cross for us. We'll celebrate that in just a moment. But God, also I pray you would search our hearts and our relationships, God. Show us if there's broken relationships. Show us, God, if we are retaliating in the old self instead of as a follower of Christ, instead of being Christ-like in our relationship. Show us that, God. Show us, Father, if we are not fostering unity in the community of faith, and show us how we can do that. And Father, I pray you would investigate quietly our hearts this morning. Examine our hearts before we take this bread and this cup. Show us, God, if there's any sin we need to confess. And we would do that today, that we would be clean before Christ as we acknowledge again his sacrifice for us. And it's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.